0: Well, hey everybody! Welcome to the Pursue God podcast. I'm Brian in the studio again today with my friends Peter and Zach. Guys, let's keep talking about anxiety. You know, so far we've talked about the secret to overcoming anxiety from Philippians four verses six and seven, and last week we talked about, in particular, control freaks, which we all can relate to a little bit. And today we're gonna we're gonna continue to essentially study Philippians chapter four, the anxiety chapter in the Bible. And today we're going to talk about when your thoughts run wild with anxiety, and this is something we all can relate to. I want to start with this word that, that anyone who struggles with anxiety needs to hear. And maybe they don't know this word, but, but I think they'll understand the concept. And the word is rumination. And here's how Oxford Dictionary defines it. It's a deep or considered thought about something and I actually like the alternative definition better. Here's the other definition. It's the action of chewing the cud. So when a cow, if you've ever seen a cow kind of just chewing, sitting there chewing, you're like, what is that thing chewing? It's chewing its cud. The word for that is rumination. And I think it's hilarious that that is the same word for kind of, you know, when someone is chewing something over in their mind, over and over and over. And this is a classic symptom of anxiety. Can either of you guys relate to this?
1: I can definitely relate to it. This was actually the hardest thing for me to understand, and it, it, just, it just took me forever to figure out why it was happening. Um, for me, it actually turned into something called catastrophizing. So as I would ruminate on things, and as I would just worry and worry and worry about something, my mind would go to a worst-case scenario, and boy, would that make my anxiety go. So at that point the heart rate start starts going at that rate I'd start feeling this panic, the room's getting smaller, the chest gets tightened. Um, and it just that the whole process was something that I had to identify, realize it was happening, and then I had to go to work on it and it it wasn't easy to um, overcome it took a lot of work
0: and Peter, in your story one of one of your thoughts that you would go through over and over had to do with your, your lung, right? Because your lung collapsed and that's kind of what triggered this whole anxiety, this panic attack thing for you in the first place. So is that the kind of stuff? Was it, was it medical rumination for you? It
1: hundred percent was, and it would normally go to the place of death. Like I'm dying right now. Mm. Um, or, uh, something's going to happen that's horrible right now. And I'm gonna end up in the hospital again. And we're going to redo this whole process again and again and again. And so, through the process of catastrophizing, what you actually do is you you tell your brain that the worst thing possible is going to happen. And so in order for me to, to kind of start dealing with that, really what I had to do was actually write that down. Mm. I had to write down the worst possible thing. So for me, I'm like, okay, I'm dead. What happens now? Mm. And what was interesting was, I'm dead, and when you answer that question, what happens now? I'm with the Lord. Mm. So from there, there was an ease in, in the panic. At, at, at that point, I could start to practically process it. And in the end, um, it was really irrational. Mm. Um, the whole process was irrational.
0: Zach for you, what, what, what would you ruminate? I remember you saying, I think last week that you would lay there in bed and you could tell your wife was asleep, but you were staring at the ceiling, I'm assuming ruminating.
2: Yeah, for me, it was, it was ruminating on some very similar things. Um, as Peter had mentioned, and, and, and I don't know if maybe it goes back to the fact that uh, my at, at age 56 or 57, my dad had a heart attack and had quadruple bypass. I look at um, my mother's father who had multiple heart surgeries. And so uh, when, it, when I got into this bad cycle of ruminating about certain things that I think probably were caused by the stress of life and the stress of work, it went to ruminating about um, I have... Three children, two who are brand new children, who I have to live for a long time for. And and when I would lay in bed at night, I would ruminate about not waking up the next morning and the implications I would have on my wife and my family and my children. And and I would ruminate so much about that thought that I would I would think I would think so much through it that I would almost force my chest to feel a certain way hmm. or my mind to feel a certain way, or my heart to pound it's almost like i i i willed those feelings to happen in my body which then caused me to ruminate and be fearful more about something really happening Mm -hmm. when the reality was when i go to the doctor and i talk to the doctor my my heart rate's fine right and my my blood pressure is a little bit elevated but it's fine and and your everything everything appears to be perfectly fine you never know when something can happen but but i ruminated so much about that that i forced some of those things to happen physically.
0: Yeah, and I want to make sure listeners understand it's not only like ruminating about death. I think that's kind of the, the ultimate thing and maybe a lot of people can relate to that, but other people might just even be saying, you know, I, I, can ruminate, I can ruminate about my day. I can sit there and just think about my day or think about work and what I have to do at work or what I've been doing at work or i can think about my kids or what, the some of their problems. So i want to make sure people understand that there's all kinds of ways to ruminate and fixate on the wrong thing. It's not always the worst case scenario you're fixing on, fixating on, but the the reality is you could be fixating on something and this is this is actually increasing your anxiety. It's not helping it. In fact, i you know when i first had panic attacks a few years ago, i i was a i was suddenly aware of my ruminating and how much of a problem it was. But before that, I ruminated all the time. It just never culminated into panic attacks. And so even for some people listening now, just consider, think about your thoughts for a minute and think about what are the things that you lay up at night awake, thinking about, processing in your mind, and that is rumination. Again, it might not translate into anxiety yet, but you'll see it's got the... It's kind of got the roots of anxiety just built right into it. And so that's why this is our verse for today. We're in Philippians 4 again, the anxiety chapter in the Bible. And we're going to be talking today about verse 8. I want to read it to you now. We're going to unpack it here in a little bit. But I want to start by reading this verse. It says this, Paul writing, And now, dear brothers and sisters, one final thing. Remember, he'd been talking about anxiety for a few verses now. So the context for what I'm about to read, the context is anxiety. And here's what Paul says about it, the final thing. He says, fix your thoughts on what is true and honorable and right and pure and lovely and admirable. Now, we're going we're gonna to break that down into three categories in just a little bit. But for now, I want just people to hear this. Paul is saying, fix your thoughts on those things. Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. And so what Paul is talking about here is healthy, I'm going to call it godly rumination— the kind that leads to peace. The opposite is worldly rumination, and that's the kind that leads to anxiety. Now, before we drill down on the difference, let's just take a little detour. And Zach, we're, you're going to be our resident doctor for today, okay? Mm,
2: that's scary. Yeah, it's it <laughs> scary. Let's, let's give it a go.
0: There's no, do, there's no doctor in the room here today, but we have read some books recently, and we're going to talk about the the beautiful mind that God has given all. Of. We're going to talk about the brain for a second, because for me. Zach, I know you're the same way, and actually, Peter, you were too. I think for all of us, maybe this is just how we're wired. When we started having anxiety, we had to figure out what is going on. This doesn't even make sense. What's happening right here? And so we've been reading some. Bo- we've all been reading some books together on it, and really trying to wrap our minds around our brains. And one of the books that was really helpful was by authors Catherine Pittman and Elizabeth Carl. Um, I think the title is "Rewire Your Anxious Brain." And here's an observation that they make there. I wanna read this quote and then let's talk about this, guys. They say many people believe that certain situations are the cause of their anxiety, you know, work or my lung collapses or whatever. But she writes anxiety always begins in the brain, not with the situation. Now, that was a real revelation for me. Anxiety begins in the brain, not with the situation. Anxiety is a human emotion produced by the human brain, and emotions are caused by the brain's reactions to situations, not the situations themselves. I'm going to read that again, because that, that might take some people a minute to really think about. Anxiety is a human emotion. That's what it is. It's, a human, it's an emotion, right? And it's produced by the brain, and, the, and emotions are caused by the brain's reaction to situations. It's not the situations themselves. It's the way my brain is reacting to the situation okay so that's why it was so confusing to me guys when all of a sudden at 45 or 46 i started having panic attacks and Nothing really changed in my life. It uh, there, it didn't seem like there were any real concrete situations that I was facing. I wasn't sick. I wasn't. I mean, Peter, your story almost makes more sense to me because at least it was connected. You didn't understand why your lung collapsed, but at least you're like, okay, wait, I might die. That makes a little more sense. My anxiety didn't even make any sense at all. And so I think it's important then to understand the two neural pathways when it comes to. Anxiety. Okay, so Zach, help us out with this because because I feel like you can explain this better than we can. One is called the cortex, and the other one is called the amygdala. What are, what's the difference between those two types of anxiety pathways? Well, those are there are two types of anxiety.
2: What I've read, I'm obviously not a physician, I'm not a doctor, but what I've what I've read is there there are two pathways, but they're also two different aspects of your brain. So so the cortex is the top part of your brain. When you when you see, you know you Google a picture of the brain and you see the kind of the off white area that covers the top of your head that that would be the cortex and then the other the other part the other pathway is the amygdala uh, and the the cortex is really the the thinking part of the brain um, you know some would say it's the logical the logical part of your brain so um, it, it helps us reason. It helps us talk. It helps us engage with people. Um, it helps us to to think through situations, to solve problems. It helps us in logic. You know, as a, if I think about school, it's the it's the science and the the mathematics and the physics side of the mm-hmm. brain, right? So um, the cortex the cortex really helps us to to logic through things. And when we think about the cortex pathway, I think a lot of times we think about this rumination and the thinking about our thinking and almost obsessing about something to
0: where something comes to fruition. That's kind of the, the cortex pathway. Okay. And so then, so let me, let me get, this is my understanding of it then is, is cortex, cortex based anxiety is a little bit more sensible, right? And that let's just, let's talk about like the good anxiety. When you, when you see your kid playing playing, by the street and a car is coming down the street that is cortex produced anxiety that you you logically say that's not a good situation and now what happens is that that tr- I don't know the whatever the whatever the signal is that's going from your cortex it goes from your cortex to your amygdala the amygdala is the part of the brain that actually create is where the cr- anxiety is actually happening right is the cortex relays to the amygdala hey something's wrong here your amygdala gets activated and you feel the anxiety and you rush into action right and then that's kind of the that's the sensible kind of anxiety but there's another kind of anxiety that just kind of shortcuts the whole process and it goes straight from the thalamus to the amygdala it and this is really what kind of we're talking about it doesn't even make any sense why am I feeling so anxious right now? Like you can't reason it, right? For sure.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And the, and the amygdala is a lot smaller than the cortex, but it's a, a part of your brain that affects love and feelings and fear. Um, it, it attaches emotional importance to situations or to objects, and it creates emotional memories, positive, positive or negative, right? All, all things kind of emotional. So, before before going through all of this, as I, as I look at my wife and I, me being a very logical individual and my wife being very emotional, I would have said that her amygdala is is a lot larger than mine, and my <laughs> cortex is a lot right. larger than hers, right? <laughs> right? Now, now that I as, as we go back and we think about um, what I've been through from a, from a panic anxiety standpoint, um, the amygdala has a lot more impact on how I've been feeling. And just like you mentioned, when, when we think about irrational, Panic, and something that makes our chest tighten, something that takes our breath away, that whatever it is, the neuroceptors, whatever it is in our brain, just bypasses the cortex and goes right to the amygdala. And the and the thing that I like to I like to think about with the amygdala is the typical response is fight or flight, right? It's something's wrong. I have to get out of here. You know. So you in that situation where your child is running in front of a car, you think that's not a good situation, but the fight or flight kicks in of I've got to go get my child out as fast as possible. And so you might be running faster than you've ever ran before, Mm -hmm. right? Because the amygdala kicks in.
0: Yeah. So here's what, here's how this really helped me to make sense of this. Here's how the authors explained it in their book. Basically a panic attack is your body launching into this fight, flight or freeze response at an inappropriate time. Like not at the appropriate time, the cortex way, but at the inappropriate time, due to an overreaction of the, uh, the amygdala, my amygdala is overstimulating and it's overreacting to this, this thought that I have that apparently didn't start maybe in the cortex. And so this there's this trigger that really doesn't pose any real danger as opposed to like your kid playing near the street. But this panic attack is is kind of bypassing logic altogether, which is what drove all of us crazy. Cause we're all kind of logical engineer type of guys. And yet when we started experiencing panic attacks, we're like, dude, get over it. We're saying that to ourselves, but we couldn't, right? Because it wasn't, it wasn't a cortex thing. Now we are going to talk a little bit about how the cortex does play into this. It wasn't a cortex thing at root. It was really more of a feelings thing. It was the amygdala. That was the problem.
2: Yeah. And, and, If we think physiologically about, I mean, there were still, even though it's our brain telling us something's happening that's not really happening, that's because the amygdala is um, energized or or reacted. And then just like in a normal scenario, if we had to, if we were fighting or flying or freezing, our adrenaline kicks up, Mm -hmm. right? And what happens when your adrenaline kicks up? your heart starts to pound, right? Right, And your blood pressure rises because that's physiologically how our body responds and adapts to those situations when really nothing was going on, but our body was still responding because the amygdala was, was activated.
0: Thank you, Dr. Zach. You did a great job explaining that. Peter, I know for you, maybe just experientially, you, this really resonates with you because you've been going through this over the last year.
1: Yeah, and I think as, as it's gotten better for me, the anxiety still happens. And so I can look back at this past Saturday. We had, we had a couple out at the house. We were eating great food. We're down in the theater room. Notre Dame is just taking care of Syracuse. Like, it's just a great day. <laughs> and all of a sudden, here comes the hum. The anxiety kicks in. I'm nervous in the chair. I'm starting to feel a little nervous. I'm wondering if my friends that, you know, the other couple that there, are they noticing? So I immediately go upstairs try to you know try to talk myself i recognize it what's going on why is this happening no logical sense i'm doing something i thoroughly enjoy doing with people i thoroughly love and all of a sudden this underlying little hum just creeps in took about 20 minutes it was probably 20 minutes a year ago would have crippled me Hmm. a year ago it would have been a full-blown panic attack um I probably would have totally ejected from the scenario and sent a text to my wife. Um, so I just look at that and I, am I'm hopeful, like what a great way that I was able to deal with it. But I want people out there to know that, that it's not something that just goes away. Like it's, it's real and it happens. And I think just as you're explaining this, Zach, like there was no reason for me to feel any uncomfortableness on Saturday, Mm. but something happened. Right. And so I had to deal with it. And, um, it's, it's hard when you don't know the why.
2: Yeah. Do do you, in your, in the past year, as you've been going through that and experiencing that, can you, can you, do you see any patterns in the 24 hours before that, or the week before that, that might possibly be triggering that? Or is it, is it truly just out of nowhere?
1: Yeah, I, I give it some thought. I read a great book um, by Carolyn Leaf, that talks about how the brain is such a powerful, powerful part of our body and it's wired. And so we've experienced all these things in our lives, and those experiences stay in our brain. And so there's little triggers. So there could have been something about the fact that it was October close to Halloween, mm. and a year ago in October close to Halloween, I was really in bad shape. Mm-hmm. And at the same time, Notre Dame was playing football last October, mm. and we were trying to have people over and be normal, um, but it, it wasn't the same. And so there could have been something there that just in my brain triggered something, um, but I was very grateful to have the tools to 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 tap into a quick prayer and acknowledging what was happening. Um, later that evening, I shared it with my wife. I just said, hey, just so you know, this, this happened earlier today and didn't really didn't really grab you when it was happening because you know we had some friends over but um, it's it's not the big episode that it would have been a year ago and I, I think that's the hopeful message
0: well and here's the here's here's the crazy part so what scientists and doctors say now and who knows what they're gonna say in 50 years but what they're saying now is that the, the this concept of neuroplasticity that your brain can be rewired I mean that was the whole this book we've been quoting here the title is rewire your anxious brain the idea is if you're aware of this you can rewire it you can you can actually train yourself to think think to use your cortex to it to the advantage of of not overreacting and overstimulating the amygdala you can rewire your anxious brain and here's what i think is the coolest concept for today is long before science understood this like literally 2000 years ago the Bible offered the same kind of solution. And that's what we're reading today in our verse. Let's spend some time on this now. So, so Paul offers this solution to the, this rumination that can drive us all crazy. And it's that verse we read. I'm going to read it again now, now that we understand how the brain works. Remember, God's the one who made the brain. So it's not surprising for us people of faith. It shouldn't be surprising to us that we look at this and we say, wow, this makes so much sense in light of, of modern day science. Well, of course it does. God made the brain. So when he inspired Paul to write these words, he was talking about not allowing ruinous ru- rumination to destroy your life. And so here's what he says. I'm going to read it again, Philippians 4.8. Dear brothers and sisters, one final thing, fix your thoughts on what is true, honorable, right, and pure, lovely, and admirable. Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. And again, the context for all of this is anxiety, Right go read Philippians 4 he's talking about he had just gotten done talking about anxiety and the peace of God well you know this passage Zach that meant so much to you that you would recite every night while you were in the in the thick of the battle this is what he's talking about right after that he says look I want to say one more thing about it and essentially he's talking about rumination he it's like he understands I actually think Paul understood this we talked last week about the thorn in the flesh I think it's even if the thorn in the flesh for Paul was was a physical ailment or his eyesight. I think that what was happening is that ailment was causing anxiety in his life because of the way he describes it. He's like, I can't handle this. I I'm, He kept asking God to remove it. I mean, we can all so relate to what he was doing there. Here's a grown man that's like, what is going on with me? So, I personally read this, and I see this, and I say, I think Paul understood what he was saying here, and I think he was essentially talking about this when your mind races and goes crazy, because I think Paul probably experienced it just like we do. So again, he's he's telling us to, to redirect our thoughts when we are when we get into this place where our, our thoughts are driving us nuts, that we need to, we need to capture those thoughts and we need to redirect those thoughts. And, and really he's essentially saying three, three ways to do it.
2: So I, the, the, the concept of redirecting your thoughts is um, it's really, I think it's really important. It takes, it takes some, um, some concentration, you know, which is crazy to concentrate on your thoughts. But for me, uh, When I think about redirecting my thoughts, I I honestly go a little bit back to what we talked about previously in the peace cycle. For me, redirecting my thoughts is, first off, acknowledging that I am thinking of something, right? And that and whatever I'm thinking is causing those anxious feelings. Uh, It's it's understanding, after I acknowledge it, it's understanding that... um, it's probably just something with my mind. It's probably not really something mm-hmm. with my body, mm-hmm. you know? Uh, it's And and then it's focusing on being thankful, focusing for my, you know, being thankful for my current circumstances and what God is doing amidst all of it, and praying to God about it. Also, you know, one way that I, that's, you know, a good tool in my toolbox, like Peter's talked about, is... Uh, for to redirect my thoughts is to f- is to focus on worship you know I, I i have over the past few months there have been three songs three worship songs that i've gone to that have meant a lot to me and if i you know I, I talked a little bit previously about a lot of times these feelings come up when i'm driving these feelings of fear and i i know exactly how to get to those worship songs right away and they can, take my mind out of the mode of thinking about my thinking and more just worshiping God, mm. right? And thinking externally and thinking less internally about myself. So I, I it's, it's a practice that's got to come into play and it's got to be something that you, um, for me anyways, it's got to be something that I have to be able to do on the fly mm. and really quickly and recognize first off that I'm going down a path that's not positive and then Force myself to get out of that by maybe even distracting myself. Mm-hmm. So,
0: yeah, you know, a, a non spiritual um, example of this before we get into the spiritual examples for me, and this, this was crazy when I realized this is one of the things that helped, there are a couple things that helped me get out of these destructive, ruinous thoughts that just didn't even make logical sense, right? And one, one was actually playing a card game on my, on my iPad. And I think what what that like when I when I would get into a pl- onto a plane, I re- it took me a while to realize this, but but I, if, if I just had my iPad and I just pulled up and just started playing that game, it just distracted me. It was really literally redirecting my thoughts. Now it wasn't doing what Paul was saying. We're going to get into what Paul was saying. I think that's even more valuable. But it, but it's this concept of it it redirected my thoughts, so it kind of took that. I don't know that that illogical. that feeling of claustrophobia that just didn't even make sense. And then the more people that got on the plane, the more claustrophobic I would feel. As soon as I opened up that that iPad, and people should try this if they struggle with this, it was just like, okay, good. Now I'm just in a game. Maybe it's just because that's how simple my brain is. I just needed to get it on something else. I needed to get it onto another track altogether. At night, what helps me is literally listening. I'll listen to the Bible on my Bible app, I'll listen to that at night, especially if I'm feeling a little bit anxious and having a hard time sleeping. I'll listen to that. And again, all I'm doing now is I'm just I'm just focusing on the words. And it, it just gets me off of this 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 track that is creating anxiety for whatever reason. It's even a little bit unknown. It's getting me off of that. I don't even fully understand what i'm thinking to be honest when i'm when i'm having that anxiety but now it it's like occupying my mind and getting me onto another track it's redirection so for me the, for me this this concept has been super helpful for me and and for people who have never really thought about it like this i think this could be a really good tool for your toolbox but guys for now i want to i want to go back to that verse and i want to break down cuz i th- i see three categories as i've studied this i see three categories of redirection that Paul's talking about when he says, fix your thoughts. He says, first of all, fix your thoughts on what is true. So the first category, I think that Paul's actually saying, fix your th- thoughts on the factual stuff rather than the false narratives that are perpetuating the anxiety. So I know, Peter, you've mentioned some false narratives that this narrative that that I'm going to die, my, my lung collapsed once randomly. Well, why won't it happen again? Well, that's kind of a false narrative, and it's, it's almost, like, almost like Paul saying, just fix your thoughts on what is true. Don't, let, don't let the false truth come into play for you anymore. Yeah,
1: that, that's been big for me. Um, and so what I've, what I've learned to do is to acknowledge it, to just acknowledge that it's happening at that first step. Did that on Saturday when, when it was just creeping in a little bit. And when that happens, I can really start to process the reality that the thought is. Is it, is it something real? Is it, you know, I'm, I'm, I might die, but yet I feel fine, mm-hmm. right? So you're, you're logically asking yourself some pretty quick questions. Um, and what I've found is I'll immediately feel myself grounded. Hmm. Not completely out of it, but start to feel a little bit more grounded and like this, there, there's nothing here. I can, I can move on. And if there is something there, then it's worth exploring. If hmm. the anxiety... When I first ask myself, like, hey, what's going on? Do a quick body scan. If the anxiety is there, then, then you can just you can take it somewhere to say, what is going on here? And that might lead to a prayer. That might lead to putting on some Christian music. That might lead to a conversation with you know, my wife. But, but really, that's, that's a huge part for me of being able to say, hey, this isn't real, and then quickly get grounded versus, hey, this is real. Let's get some stuff going so we can work through it.
0: Well, and I like what you said earlier that even if it is, even if there is some truth to it, I might die. <laughs> yeah. Well, that I guess you could say that's kind of true. You went to a an even more true thing, which is that you know where you're going. Right. You know who you are. So some of this is also to say, I'm going to go to the truer thing, yeah. to the thing that we that takes faith, really. Mm-hmm. But but I I recognize that there's the wor- like you said, the worst-case scenario there's still something comforting in the for a christian there's still something comforting in the worst case scenario. Yeah, Peter, you've
2: mentioned it multiple times, but I think one thing that's that's awesome about you and your relationship with your wife is that even if you think where you're at something might not be true, you can call her and she can reinforce what really is true. Right? Cuz I think I think in those most anxious times when we're ruminating on things, we can convince ourselves that things are true that really aren't, and we need people in our lives, people that love us, people that know what we're going through, that we've shared this with, just like I do with my wife, who I can call her and she can calm me down immediately. And so, you know, for those of you who are out there who um, haven't shared this with anybody, I would really encourage you to share it with a mentor, share it with your spouse, share it with your children, um, share it with somebody who you know loves you, so that when you're in those times, they can speak truth into your life instead of letting your mind wander.
0: Yeah, and I remember reading about this, by the way, Zach, that when I first was having these panic attacks, you guys can probably relate to this, I literally thought I was gonna die. And one of the things that was truthful that I read, and I read it in several books, and it brought me so, it brought me so much comfort to read this, is they said, nobody has ever died from a panic attack. And I had to read that like four or five times, like, is that true? Because it felt like I was going to die. And even just that fact right there was so helpful for me. Like, you literally cannot die from a panic attack, okay? So it feels like you're going to. It feels like your heart, you're going to have a heart attack or your heart is racing or whatever. But it's not going to happen. It's not even true. And, man, that was that's such a good example. Like, don't fall for these false narratives that your mind can, I don't know if, it's that, if that's your cortex or not, but maybe eventually that amygdala can bounce right back to your cortex and now you're talking yourself into stuff that's not even true. Like, don't fall for it. Like, find out what's, what's solid and true. And sometimes, like you said, Zach, it's gonna be a friend or a wife or someone that's just gonna talk sense. Like, dude, that's stupid, what you just thought. That's stupid, that's not true,
2: right? Yeah,
0: absolutely. All right, second category in this passage. So first he says, think about what's true. Then he says, the next three I'm going I'm to lump together. Then he says, think about what's honorable, right, and pure. And these these three things here, he's talking about things that honor God because so much anxiety for Christians is rooted in a sinful lifestyle that is hidden from view. So you might there might be some Christians listening, and, and maybe this is good to say this at this point, because so far we've really made a lot about anxiety not being sinful, but I think it's important for us to mention right here that there, there is a kind of anxiety that is triggered because you're living in sin, and usually it's secret sin. Nobody else knows about it. You've got an addiction, maybe it's a porn addiction, or it's some other kind of addiction, or maybe whatever. There's something in your life that, that you think nobody knows about. And probably they don't, but God knows about it, and you know about it. And there's this guilt and this shame that you're feeling because of your sin. And I think that's what Paul's talking about here. He's talking about, think about the things that are honorable, right, and pure. He's saying, stop ruminating on sin, come clean. I think he's saying, come clean and train your mind to fixate on godly things And that that might be the scariest part of this whole episode for some people because some people might have just now heard that and the light bulb went on for them and said, I never even considered that maybe the anxiety I'm feeling is related to my sin that I got to deal with before God. Uh, This is what I think the psalmist is saying in Psalm 139. He says this, "'Search me, O God, and know my heart, test me, and know my anxious thoughts.'" Okay, so I've read this verse a million times, the first part of this verse. But it's, it's, it was only kind of preparing for today's conversation that I really understood the second part. He says, search me, know my heart, test me, know my anxious thoughts. But look at where those anxious thoughts are coming from. Verse 24 says this, point out anything in me that offends you and lead me along the path of everlasting life. So basically the psalmist is saying, I feel this anxiety because I know there's stuff in my life that offends you and I need you to shine your light on it. And so I would encourage... If you're a christian listening to this right now and there's just maybe there's maybe there's stuff you're watching on netflix that's just not godly it's not right and you know a lot of other christians that are doing it and so you're not thinking twice about it i would challenge you that that might be a, a part of your anxiety issue is that there's stuff that you have to get right it's almost like you know there's something not right in your life and and this is where i think anxiety can be a gift for you because it'll force you to your knees and say god could you point this out to me and let me get rid of it in my life
2: this this is even even as you mentioned it brian it um it resonates to me because as as i became to feel more anxious and prior to you know what i would say having like the panic attack that changed things I think my wife could see in me that I had those feelings, that um, that there was something not right in my life, where something wasn't going like it should have been. And what it ultimately took um, was God revealing to me that I had that I had made my work, my God, my career, my God. But what was crazy is before I before I really laid that out to my wife, and she just saw me being anxious, and she saw me being. Panicky, and she saw me feeling the way that I felt. There were thoughts that came up in her head as to why I felt that way. Hmm. And when we got down to talking about it, and I and I talked to her about you know what God was making apparent to me about my career and and all those things, she said, "Zach, well, I'm I'm really glad to I'm really glad that you opened up to me first off and talked to me about it because um, because I want to be here for you, but it in my mind." My mind went a crazy place too, that you were feeling these things and the things that you were going through was that you were having an affair.
0: Hmm. And, I,
2: and I said, excuse me? She said, I have no idea why. She said, but for you to feel this anxious when you've never been anxious in your whole life, for you to feel this panicky, for you to break down and for you to be so emotional, I thought, there was, I thought that's what was going wow. on. Wow, and I said, I said Heather, that's absolutely not what's going on. I appreciate you telling me that, but it points right back to this, right. right? It makes sense that if there's things that are going on in our life that are not within God's will, are not you know in the direction that He wants them to be going, um, this this anxiety that it gives us is a gift, right? It's a gif- It's a gift to open our eyes to that. And, and one thing that I think is really interesting in uh, another book that we've been reading is um, The Anxiety Cure by Dr. Archibald Hart, I think his name is. But he talks in that book about Christians, believers, uh, being in general more anxious than non-believers because they f- feel like we have to live a certain way to honor God. And that causes anxiety in our hearts as well, Right. But what does what does it say in the Bible? There's there's no condemnation, mm-hmm. right? But um, but I truly do believe it's a it's a gift that God gives us. Anx- anxiety is a gift that He gives us to to force some changes.
0: Yeah, when my daughter was in college, that first semester in college, we talked on the phone quite a bit because she was. Flush with anxiety. And I remember one night in particular, she called us. She said, Why am I experiencing all this anxiety, all this change in her life, school and relationships and all that stuff, living with a roommate, stuff she'd never experienced before? She said, Why do I have all this anxiety? And nobody else that I know at the dorms are struggling with anxiety. She said, It's because they're all going out. And they're drinking and partying and have a, having a good time. So that was her assessment, right? Kind of like what, they, what uh, the anxiety cure was talking about, that, that because she doesn't self-medicate, she's dealing with anxiety. This was how she was putting two and two together. And I remember saying to her, I'm like, well, okay, well, so what's your solution? You're going to go just do all that stuff that everybody else is doing? <laughs> and she said, well, no. But, but I, I think it, you know, there's, there's probably some truth to that, that some of those people were self-medicating to kind of get through the anxiety they might have been feeling. They were self-medicating. The truth is, though, they're they're just kicking the can down the road. At some point, just like what happened with me in my life, not because I self-medicated, but because I kept kind of just pushing through my anxiety by working harder. I think, Zach, you did the same thing, probably. At some point, you're going to have to face it. At some point, you're going to have to deal with it. At some point, you're going to have to say, I want to I want to I conquer this in my life, and I want to face this in my life. So, again, if you're a Christian and you, you feel like that you're experience, this, because this is really just a Christian kind of anxiety, is the anxiety that it comes from not living a godly lifestyle. And it's a little bit related to conviction. It's a little bit related to condemnation that you feel some guilt and shame that you're feeling because you need to get it right. Now, this isn't all anxiety but there's a kind of anxiety that would fall into this category and i just i think it's good for us to point it out here cuz that's what paul's doing to point it out here and to deal with it if you're dealing with that kind of anxiety now there's a third kind one
2: one real quick thing there because i think i love th- i love this passage but i also think it's specifically mentioned because we can redirect our thoughts to things that aren't positive and those would cause more anxiety mm-hmm. just like you mentioned alcohol, right? Mm -hmm. We can, we can, we can medicate on our own, right. Or we could redirect our thoughts to, well, I just need to be distracted and we can jump into social media, Mm -hmm. right? We can jump and look at TikTok for four hours and look at everybody else's life. Who's great. Or we Mm -hmm. can look at Instagram and redirecting our thoughts to things that aren't true, that aren't honorable are just going to cause more anxiety in our life. Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah. I know a young man who, who struggles with, with uh, impurity in his life, that he's realizing is related to anxiety. That it's almost, that he's that he goes to that thing, right to the pornography thing. He goes to that to that to kind of fill it <clears throat> fill a need for him. And and <clears throat> he didn't realize he never realized before that that's anxiety related. And so that's I think that's what Paul's saying is don't don't run to those things that are sort of anesthetizing behaviors. Like we take an anesthetic so we, don't, we can numb the pain. It's like a lot of sin falls in that category. You're sinning because, I mean, obviously drugs and alcohol addiction, that, that's a, that is an obvious example of I'm trying to anesthetize, I'm trying to numb these feelings that I don't want to face. It goes back to that anxiety cycle that I, I feel this trigger and I don't know how to deal with it in a healthy way. And so I avoid it. And a lot of avoidance is sin. It doesn't always have to be a sinful thing that you do, but a lot of sin that people engage in is actually part of this anxiety cycle that you're just trying to avoid dealing with it. And Paul says, stop doing that and fix, focus on the things that honor God. And we're going to see the payoff here in a second. But first, got to get to this third category. So he talks first about things that are true. Second, things that are honorable, right, and pure. And then third, this third category is I'm going to lump these last two. He says, think about things that are lovely and admirable. Now, these are two words that only appear here in the New Testament. The words are prosphile and euphema. And these are the two words in Greek that you you won't find them anywhere else in the New Testament. It's the only place that Paul or anybody ever uses these words. And they're actually speaking to things that build up Instead of things that tear down. That's what he's talking about. Things he's saying, think about things that build up instead of things that tear down. Because, you know, some things are true, but they're not helpful. Right? Some things are not ungodly, but they're still not helpful. And so that's why I love that there's this third category that Paul's talking about. It reminds me of what he says to the church in Ephesus in Ephesians 4 29. He says, Let everything you say, now he's talking about speech here but I think you can apply it to your thoughts as well. So he says, let everything you say, or in this case, let everything you think be good and helpful so that your words or your thoughts will be an encouragement to those who hear or think them. Now, when it comes to your words, right? If, I, if I'm gonna say everything that I say to you, Zach, is gonna be good and helpful so that my, what I'm saying to you is good for you. When it comes to your thoughts, here's what happens. What, what I think, the things that I think are gonna be helpful for the person who thinks them, that's me. So when it comes to your thought life, learning to apply Ephesians 4.29 actually helps you out. It helps you to sort of stop this cycle because you're learning to evaluate your thoughts and think about things that are lovely and admirable, things that build up instead of things that tear down.
1: That's, uh, yeah, that's been a a big deal for me because it, it really puts the focus on the positive. And really, the more you can focus on positive things, show gratitude, be thankful, um, the more you're going to be able to, to battle the anxiety. You're going to be able to to put it in, put it in its right place, um, just through those conscious thoughts, evaluating, is this good for me to be thinking about this right now? The answer might be no. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and so what I'm going to choose to do is, is I'm going to pray, and I'm going to think about something positive and give God some gratitude for for these different things in my life
0: and sometimes this apply this really applies to relationships like there might be and we'll talk about this next week when we talk about anxiety and relationships but there might be relationships that cause anxiety for you and your thoughts about a person they might even be true but it might not be helpful what you're thinking about that person a good example of this is bitterness you might have bitterness and you might there there might be a good reason at least on paper for you to be bitter it's not helpful uh, you know i think about this just the, just this week on on the news this parkland shooter is is going to prison for life and they for the last couple of days they've been the victims families have been they've been given the mic and say whatever you want and the stuff that they're saying to him is true it really is. You're evil. I can't believe you would do this. But, but it's not helpful. I mean, I'm not even talking about for the shooter. It's not helpful for them. I, I, I watched some of those clips, and I just felt really sad for them. And I don't mean to, I don't mean to judge them. I can't even imagine what they're going through. I'm sure that's got to be hard. But that's been four, four years and, and they're st- you can tell they still have this bitterness that is absolutely eating them up. I'm sure some of them aren't sleeping. I'm sure they're on medication for anxiety, right? Because that had to be terrible to think that your kid got shot by somebody. But it's still not helpful. It might be true what they said. It's not helpful for them or for anybody.
2: Yeah, my, my wife and I, as, we, as we're raising children and as we're working... Um, alongside our peers and our coworkers and with family, sometimes, sometimes we'll kind of gut check each other, and and one of the sayings that we'll say is, "Are you speaking life, or are you speaking death?" And um, are you being positive, or are you being negative, and just like just like you said earlier, Brian, that goes back to our thoughts as well, right? Um, what comes out of our mouth is a true reflection of our heart, and a lot of times what we're Thinking is a reflection of our heart as well, and, and there's no way that we, um, we're going to battle and have success and victory over anxiety if we're thinking negative thoughts and if we're thinking death. Mm-hmm. We need to be thinking about life, and we need to be thinking po- positive aspects.
0: Yeah, and that's exactly what Paul means when he says, think about things that are lovely, and admirable. Now I want to close with how kind of how Paul closes this thought, because we've been spending this whole episode in verse eight about how to think, how to redirect your thoughts to the better things instead of the destructive things. But I think it's really cool what he says in verse nine, because to me, this shows that your thinking, if you can win the battle in your mind, then you can win the battle in your everyday life. And so here's what he says at the end of all this. Right after saying all this stuff about anxiety, going all the way back to verse six, verse six, seven, eight, and then in verse nine he says this: "Keep putting into practice all you learned and received from me, everything you heard from me and saw me doing." So what he's he's transitioning there from your thought life to how you actually live in your everyday, and he's saying, "Look, you've seen me try to live this way." how about you keep putting into, putting that into practice as well? And then here's the payoff. He says, then the God of peace will be with you. And it's just like he said in verse 7. He said, all these things, a the secret to overcoming anxiety is giving it up to God, and then the God of peace will be with you. This peace that passes understanding. He comes back to peace again in verse 9. So we can see that that you're winning the battle in your, lo- in your mind. If you, if, if you just have this, this anxiety that's overcome you, you have to think about your thoughts you have to evaluate your thoughts and replace those negative thoughts that are creating anxiety replace them with thoughts that are better this is what paul's saying and what's going to happen then is it'll pay off in your life that in your everyday life you're going to you're going to be able to put into practice the better stuff and you're going to live this anxiety free well not fully anxiety free guys right but certainly a lot a lot better i mean our lives now are so much better than they were when we first started dealing with this anxiety, and it's because of God, and it's because of, uh, because of what, he, what He's done. And I, I think we just need to finish by saying this, like we did a couple weeks ago, this, this is all going to take practice, isn't it? It's not going to happen overnight.
1: It's not. You can reach the place that Paul is talking about, but you have to commit to doing the work. Um, your work is going to be personal to you. We're giving you some tips and some tools, and there's some great stuff out there, but... You have to personalize what's going to work for you, and then you have to commit to doing the work. I think a mentor, um, Brian, you talk about a mentor all the time. I think if you're listening to this podcast, I think reaching out to someone, whether it's in church or a friend group, I think that's, that's going to allow that vulnerability to come in, and, and you're really going to make some progress. And that piece that Paul talks about is going to be real.
0: Yeah. And if you want to find some discussion questions for that conversation with your mentor or with another friend, you can find all of it at PursueGod.org forward slash anxious. This is lesson three in the five-week series. And so we encourage you to come back next week to the podcast because we're going to talk about when you're anxious because people are driving you crazy in your life. I think we can all relate to that. And believe it or not, Paul has something to say about it in Philippians 4. So join us next time.